This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. It was a bit of a shocking announcement the other day. Google, obviously a giant in the tech industry, was going to become a part of another company, the new entity, a holding company known as Alphabet. But after you look at the structure of the new organization, you see that there isn't a whole lot of change going on here, but it does allow the former Google to explore many different new avenues without directly affecting the Google brand. And in many respects, it's similar to what Amazon's Jeff Bezos has been doing. To take a look at this move, we are joined uh, first by David Wessels, adjunct associate professor of finance here at the Wharton School. And we'll be joined in a little while by Jeff Sonnenfeld of Yale University. David, first, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Dan. Good to speak to you. Thank you. Uh, first, did the announcement catch you off guard when it, when it came about? Well, I mean, like every news announcement, there's always something fresh uh, to think about the tech sector. You know, th- this is, uh, I think this is a move both professionally uh, for the organization as well as personally for the founders. And, and what I mean by that is, as you brought up in your introduction, something that uh, I'm seeing in my own research as well as in companies I deal with every day, is this just immense frustration mm-hmm. that their, their new growth businesses have to live by the same rules as, let's say, a public company. And w- what I mean by that is uh, so, m- so many of the losses to fund the investment in growth just sort of get lumped in with the overall performance of the business. And so, therefore, you're very cautious about spending money to grow and let these things prosper. Uh, whereas compare that to, let's say, a, a venture-backed firm that's private. Mm-hmm. You can spend literally hundreds of millions of dollars growing, let's say, an Uber without the, the scrutiny of the public markets. And so I think that what, what this allows the organization to do is to act a little bit more like a venture capital firm. And that brings me to my second point, which is personally. You know, I, I think the founders are ready to make their own transition. And, and what we see often happen in the Valley, and this happens with dozens of founders, is they move into the investing space. Mm-hmm. And I think this, this not only allows Google to let its own businesses prosper and have its own structure, but it allows its founders to take on their next generation. And given the amount of ownership they have in Google, they are absolutely allowed to do this, right? Because yep. they own you know, the majority of voting shares. And so if they feel like this is their next transition, then, then this is what they'll do. And it also, when you're talking about now the overall company, uh, it does in some respects protect that Google brand. I mean, these will be separate entities. Uh, as you kind of alluded to, you won't have uh, driverless cars or, or drones really as part of, of that whole Google piece. You know, this is always a tough question for our marketing faculty. The answer is sort of where does that brand start and where does that brand end? Okay. And so I, I agree with you. You know, imagine you took a risk and there was, uh, you know, some type of problem with this, you know, very small, minute brand, 
and then it threatened the entire corporation. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure that's the case. I, I, there are probably are situations in where something could be could tarnish the brand, but it's not like let's say a Coca-Cola who who could, for instance, have a problem with um, another brand that let's say has f- food poisoning or something, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden people panic about you know the overall quality of what they're drinking. So I, I think the brand issue is, is an important one, but I think it's probably secondary. I, I really do fundamentally come back to this this issue of how do you let these money losers thrive and survive um, in a way that, let's say, a venture capital-backed firm would allow them mm-hmm. to survive while still making your quarterly earnings number? And, not, and that's where the contagion occurs, right? Yep. Yep. You know, imagine you spend another $50 million, um, you know, trying to get driverless cars to work, and they somehow think that's to overcome some kind of softness in your other business. And now, all of a sudden, you're, you're dampening down the driverless cars because you're, you're concerned about uh, how your, your overall business will be perceived. I'm going to welcome in Jeff Sonnenfeld, who is the Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies in the School of Management at Yale University. Uh, Jeff joining us now. Just got finished with a class, literally jumping on the phone to join us. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Uh, sure, thanks. And topic was nothing at all relevant either, too. It was on uh, uh, Chinese issues, which I knew less about than this topic, but I'm actually <laughs> delighted to join you both. And hi, David. Hey, Jeff. Well, uh, Jeff, I-, I asked this of-, of David at the top, and I'll ask you, uh, did the announcement catch you off guard at all when when it came down the other day? Yeah, I, I think it was a, a surprise. At-, at first, I was wondering... Uh, Something which I would, you know, since we're just speaking among intimate friends and family members and, and not <laughs> broadcasting at large, I would never suggest that Larry Page's health would be an issue because that would be irresponsible. But that's what I wondered at first yeah. is that what's going on with his faltering voice and things? Uh, and that, of course, turns not to be the issue. And then I was wondering if uh, if it wasn't uh, Larry's uh, faltering voice, was it his faltering interest? And I think that is a piece of this that he's, uh, I think, less enthusiastic about the day-to-day operational issues and uh but i also think there are some uh, uh, ceo uh, retention issues i think and we saw this uh with with qualcomm a, a year ago spring where they uh, very quickly moved out a fairly high performing paul jacobs as ceo into the uh, executive chairmanship uh, role and to uh, have a retention strategy for somebody who was possibly going to be, you know, lured, lured away to uh, to uh, uh, run Microsoft on the short list. So yeah. uh, that, that maybe there's some of that. There's been some some brain drain there. But I was wa- wondering just why now the catalyst of why now. But I do think, uh, uh, as uh, uh, as David and you were discussing, that it does make a lot of sense in the broader scheme of things. So then, let me ask you this: Then, uh, with uh, Sundar Pichai taking over as CEO. How how does that change Google in any way, shape, or form, or does it? Uh, well, what it, it does allow is it allows a a separation of um, the traditional businesses of search ads and you know the, uh, maps, uh, YouTube, Android, and, and the rest uh, for the the kind of here and now businesses to <clears throat> those uh, quote unquote uh, proverbial moonshot businesses uh, extended life issues of uh, you know calico life science issues are looking at and mm-hmm. the drone uh, delivery service and uh, the google capital google ventures in general nest and you know google plus issues but uh uh, they're allowed to take chances, and the Google brand, as you were talking about it as I joined you, of course, has such power and value, 
But some downside to the Google brand, of course, and especially in Europe, uh, has to do with the privacy issues. So they can work on their experimentation on life sciences issues without uh, so reflexively triggering some of the anxiety about privacy issues when you start to deal with health and some of these other businesses. Uh, the um, the the project loon you know these super high uh, almost weather balloon type uh, mm-hmm. uh, opportunities that to create uh, uh, internet delivery in remote places is yeah if they're dragging along some baggage perhaps fairly or unfairly of privacy concerns that this frees up maybe a, a little of that association with with the brand I do see a downside though uh, where you'll have some folks worried about what is that threshold of innovation inside the traditional businesses where search ads, maps, and, you know, YouTube, Android, or others are doing something edgy, mm-hmm. so edgy that it starts to uh, threaten the mothership in a profound way that they suggest, well, that ought to be flipped over to Alphabet. Then are you are you fading uh, Google businesses to be the secondary harvest strategy, business, strategy businesses where uh, – uh, the new, interesting, exciting stuff is is in the other shop. We're joined on the phone by uh, Jeff Sonnenfeld, who is a senior associate dean at Yale University School of Management, and also by David Wessels, uh, adjunct associate professor of finance here at the Wharton School. We're talking about the, the move by Google now to be a part of this larger holding company that will be known as Alphabet. Uh, David, your thoughts on on, uh, on Sundar Pichai as the CEO, uh, who, ironically enough, is a Wharton alum. I was just going to say that uh, a Wharton MBA. You know, so he, you know, from a background perspective, he, you know, he has a, a strong engineering background, so he has credibility within the organization from an engineering perspective. Uh, he has the the business credibility to be able to speak about finance or about global markets. So from that perspective, I think he'll do pretty well. But you know, he doesn't obviously have the same you know this the the same uh, 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 knowledge in the in the marketplace uh, for people. You know, people don't know him as well. So you know, he'll have uh, a getting to know you period uh, with the markets. But this is where again, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, how different life will truly be. Mm-hmm. And this is where we'll have to let things play out. So uh, it's not as if he's going to immediately become a public company CEO. Uh, I would assume he'll have his own separate reporting. Uh, he'll have control over the assets in place. Uh, he'll, he'll have accountability for the organization. So internally, he'll have all these things. He could have had those before, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you could easily set up an organization under the Google brand that would allow you to do this. Uh, but, you know, from, from this point, uh, he'll have a little bit more visibility. But he won't necessarily have his own share price to manage. And that will be inter- interesting to see whether or not, a- as this, this progresses, this new, this new corporate structure progresses, will they, for instance, start to try and monetize uh, some of these investments that they're making? Because, again, I get back to that frustration from the beginning of our phone call, which is, you know, here you are, you know, you're sitting at the board of directors for Google, and you might have a few multi-billion dollar businesses in your portfolio that are losing money. Yeah. But because you're multiplied by a simple price-to-earnings ratio, you know, you don't get that. And so it'll be interesting to see whether or not they set up, up tracking stocks that will follow some of these high-profile investments. And then you really do start to get into this portfolio, this true portfolio feel. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Sundar will then step into a more traditional CEO role. 
and then he becomes truly visible outside the valley because inside yep. the valley he'll be very visible. I mean, the valley is a very tight knit place, and and you know, lots of gossip and and lots of promotion. But outside the valley, you really need your own share price, and you need those investor relation calls, and you need those you know interviews with the Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. uh, to get you, yourself into the broader community for people to really get to know you. So then, is there a little bit of a correlation then with with uh, with Mr. Pichai taking over as CEO of of, uh, of Google in this spot uh, compared to when Satya Nadella took over at Microsoft because uh, you know that that level of of personal knowledge of the person outside of Silicon Valley uh, probably wasn't there as much with, with Nadella as well. Yeah, and he's been quiet, right? I mean, he's yep. you know relatively speaking. Um, you think of all the tech personalities that we saw. You know, they, of course, these were the founders or members of the founding committee. So they had, you know, they had those those personalities, but they also had just a tremendous amount of credibility because they had created something that that those around them had really respected. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, perhaps what we're seeing here is, you know, the next generation of of professional management. And I mean, obviously, Eric Schmidt was, you know, part of the the group yep. from from the very early on. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see whether this next generation, the ones that follow the Larry Ellisons and the Bill Gates and so on, whether they have the same, you know, the same, you know, the, the same time in the press that their their predecessors had. Uh, one of the things, uh, Jeff, that we mentioned quickly, I think you uh, you were you hadn't gotten on the f- uh, line yet, but this obviously does uh, open up a, a wide range of, of VC possibilities for Alphabet, and, and you would think that. Uh, probably we will see in, in the next 18 months uh, several, uh, I would think, uh, opportunities for Alphabet to go out and acquire other entities uh, to bring under their umbrella. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point and an interesting point. And as uh, you think about the timeliness of what we're looking before us, there's a fantastic a finance laboratory of of options here as we look at the uh, almost a portfolio approach to how do you handle differentiated businesses with differing degrees of, of integration is you, you can look at the recent uh, release of, uh, of PayPal by eBay yep. uh, or today's news this morning uh, uh, of course uh, uh, Meg Whitman uh, announced the not just the, of course, the split of of uh, uh, HP uh, and Hewlett Packard uh, Enterprises, the, the two different companies, one a printing and um, and devices business, uh, the other, uh, of course, the uh, uh, the the server uh, uh, and uh, um, everything that they are are doing um, uh, in the cloud and the rest is these two different businesses are are going pretty separate ways with separate boards as fully separate public companies um, uh, meg will be chairing uh, uh the uh this the spin out uh but will be ceo of uh what appears to be the mothership of the two is you have that as you know some extreme versions of the separation of the businesses to looking at AWS uh, which is you know reasonably recent looking at the web services of Amazon recognizing it was just too much for Jeff Bezos yep. and one team to manage all that with some degree of autonomy to the Warren Buffett uh, example which has been they have right raced to and I think what you're talking about with the the VC options 
it is uh, by keeping these things in a in a portfolio closer to that extreme right of uh, rather than to fully separate these businesses, but there is there'll be perhaps some degree of overlap. They have a, a marketing guy, for example, who's uh, Omid um, Korstani. I think he's kind of kind of be a liaison in addition to at the very very top level uh, that he'll be a liaison uh, on marketing level opportunities. So there's been some concern that as they as operate as a VC pool and bring in new enterprises, is every C, every enterprise they buy going to believe that they are going to demand the same um, autonomy that say Google has as their own CEO you know, with you know Sundar Pichai? They're going to want as much, and I, I don't think that that's going to be necessarily the case. But I do think that when they stated that um, further extreme on that model of of uh, not granting the uh, complete autonomy, but giving the transparency of perhaps separate uh, performance reports and things, that'll be kind of a win-win strategy for them. So I think it gives frees up their hand to make some great purchases. We're talking with uh, David Wessels uh, of the Wharton School and also Jeff Sonnenfeld of Yale University. We're talking about uh, the new Alphabet company and how Google will uh, fit in as a, a big piece of this puzzle. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you'd like to jump in and ask a question of our guests or uh, add a comment as well. Uh, David, you did uh, your dissertation on the concept of, of startups being built out of larger companies. Uh, explain a little bit what you what you were theorizing back then and and how how the process goes out and how successful we should expect these these new entities to be let's say over the next couple of years yeah and that research was a long time ago but yeah. but you're but you're but you're right i did i actually did uh my own dissertation in this area and uh it, you know it, it gets back to two things uh, the first thing it gets back to is you know imagine you have this small startup uh, trapped in this large organization um, how do you get it the appropriate attention it needs? Uh, how do you get it the appropriate funding it needs? And, you know, one of the things that you have to be concerned about is, let's say it's threatening to, you know, your larger business. Uh, it's much easier for a management team, you know, to look at their existing business and to make investments that will strengthen their existing business because those investments, you know, could be quantified versus, let's say, betting on this upstart. And so now all of a sudden you have this little business. It's not getting the appropriate funding. It might even be paid uh, a political penalty mm -hmm. from being inside this business. And so it's, it's interesting to see Google be innovative, not just, you know, let's say with their product lines, but to be experimentative even with their organizational structure. Um, so from that perspective, you know, maybe they have found, you know, the right tool here. One of the things I've been talking about for a few years now, both in the classroom and also in my work, is, you know, our companies that are able to really do a very good job of protecting threats. Um, because if they don't protect those threats, there's no question that an entrepreneur today can get the funding to figure out exactly what it is that Google itself might have might have discovered. And so I must say maybe that this new hearing this David new say this ownership structure. Oh, hold on. David, uh, you know, it, it, uh, as uh, I'm sure all the listeners may know, but should know that David, of course, is, is more than just a, a finance guru and a management superstar, and, uh, <laughs> but that you've actually mastered the world of computer science way back. Uh, and uh, I think you know, can speak with some authority on, on all sides of the table here. Uh, but I didn't know you would come at it from the organizational side, because 
I really do think that in addition to uh, the the bits and bytes of the technology, which you understand, and the financial opportunity, is what this does organizationally. If you think at the time that you were doing that, that um, what you say is ancient, but I think is recent research that you were doing, right. is the companies that were alive and well at that time, that were the leading Massachusetts Route 128 companies, are right. for the most part gone. Uh, the, the world's number two, dig, uh, you know, com, uh, computer company, digital equipment, and Data General, and uh, Prime Computer, uh, uh, and uh, you go sort of on and on, Wang, and uh, uh, the uh, uh, down that list is that had they stirred up the waters a little bit like this, it might have made a difference. Uh, I do remember in the late seventies. Gosh, it was actually early eighties. Now, where, where uh, Ken Olson, one management retreat, uh, this, the founder of Digital, was saying. Uh, I, I can't imagine why anybody would want their own uh, personal computer. Right. Uh, and you know, this is uh, as a, a mindset that uh, is is a, is, a, is a major is a major challenge. Is how do you uh, not let the founders uh, stifle innovation? Uh, by having the the mothership still defined around about the business they saw that Michael Dell, uh, Howard Schultz, Michael Dell, Dell, Howard Schultz, of course, of Starbucks and and the late Steve Jobs are the rare examples of founders that don't create a religion around themselves. And these other guys at at at, at Wang and and the digital equipment did general sadly did. David, I'll let you fin- finish off of that. Go ahead. Yeah, and there's you know there's some businesses outside tech that do a great job of this. I mean, my fa- favorite company that does a good job of this is Estee Lauder. I mean, we don't think of them as a tech startup, but think about all the numerous brands they have. And and Leonard Lauder, who grew that company, was a big believer in internal competition. You know, he developed Clinique to knock off Estee Lauder. They you know they recently purchased Smashbox. They want Mac to knock off Bobby Brown. It's this. It's it, it, it's what allows them to thrive. This internal competition. The problem is when you have a very large brand like a Google brand and a threat comes along yep. and you have a choice between extending your current business, which is minting money, or taking this chance on this startup, you know, internally you're likely to kill it. And, and that's a, a big problem for organizations. And it really it sometimes makes me wonder, how provocative as this is, are most companies truly one-hit wonders because they just won't let that uh, – that um, that entrepreneurship come out, and maybe this is a solution to this. Although this seems like a uniquely Google thing, I'm not sure every company is going to have the ability to start up uh, the, the 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 VC model that uh, that a Google is. No, and you remember all the confusion at, with Steve Jobs one when he tried this in his first iteration, as he uh, he was the first to go after the Apple IIe and the first to attack Lisa afterwards with Mac, and people thought he was creating these warring fiefdoms of a cabal of you know being on the winning team with him, but in fact he was trying to do this, but organization was really hard. He was also the functioning active CEO of the whole enterprise that yeah. losing favor of that guy that. You know that created a problem, so this is an alternative solution. Of course, you know, Andy Groves was the and only the paranoid survivors as kind of wiping the slate clean and thinking if we were starting afresh. But you just again don't want to do that with this entire, you know, incredibly valuable franchise, the number 40th largest company on the Fortune 500. Uh, gentlemen, I'll ask this to both of you, uh, and, and David, I'll start with you. With now uh, Mr. Pushai taking you over at Google, what do you think is probably at the top of his agenda uh, You know, when he ta- takes over and has full control? Uh, what, what do you think he's l- going to be looking to really push forward with Google to, to make his mark? 
Well, I mean, they've already he, being in charge of Android's been a good start for him, or yep. having that under his auspices, because you know I, I believe that that um, you know mobile is definitely where we're currently sitting right now as we transition off the PC and onto the cell phone. Uh, there are literally thousands of mobile apps coming out every day, and interactions between organizations and their mobile phones. Uh, I mean, think about how many times you look at your mobile phone during the day as either an employee uh, of an organization or, or as a consumer. And so I think, you know, that still has to be the primary push is, is how do you get Google completely in, ingrained, you know, with the mobile experience versus where they originally started as a search engine on the PC. Jeff? Uh, you know, mine has to do with competitive threats, which is related to what David says, is that in the mobile space, uh, in, there are uh, some people who who are, who are casually, if not abusively, suggesting, you know, the old the quote unquote the internet is dead nonsense by suggesting as if as if mobile was not internet driven, but it's just that so much is happening in the world of mobile is being driven by a platform that begins with mobile, as opposed to thinking of migrating the architecture of something that was designed for a laptop website use, and then converted to mobile usage, which is you know everybody else, including Facebook. Is, is that China's WeChat, Tencent's WeChat, yep. it, it, it's already got, you know, a, uh, a, a billion users. Uh, now, only half of them are frequent users, but that's a lot of people, and that's yep. only in China. And, I, you know, some of you may use it. I use it myself. The Chinese are probably reading everything I, I use, but they're probably reading my... My uh, my Twitter as well, uh, but they um, they uh, you can do everything off of that, and it seems as uh, seamlessly as an app within an app within an app that in terms of mobile, it it does everything: your doctor's appointments, your 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 plane travel. You don't have to leave it for anything, and I do think that that is a is a huge threat that neither uh, Facebook or uh, you know. Uh, uh, Google or anybody at Yahoo has really built in a an adequate response to that. There's a little bit of time to figure that out, but that's when one that would be especially worrisome to me. And also, just as, as Facebook is mastering video uh, and you know advertising and things, that's a, a more of a traditional uh, challenge. What do you think it means if if much of anything that YouTube is now going to be under the the Google umbrella, David? Yeah, you know, it's, it, again, this, these are choices that they have to make about uh, where they see the synergies between their businesses. And, you know, do you keep something inside or outside? And getting back to Jeff's point earlier, you know, imagine the head of uh, YouTube has an opportunity to, to, to move to a startup, uh, even yeah. half the size or, or a tenth the size. Uh, they, might, they might lose that person. So it'll be interesting to see the choices that the organization makes going forward about where they want to put these, given that they have this new venture capital-based structure. How much of a different company, uh, Jeff, do you think we might see uh, that Alphabet might be in, in, say, five years, or even Google to that perspective? Well, combining that with your last question, and I, and I hate to do this to you, but I completely agree with David. Yeah. <laughs> Again, is that you can imagine, and David didn't go quite this far, but he took us to the brink of saying it. That basically, you can you can imagine that, um, in fact, uh, YouTube, uh, um, Android, some of these other businesses will will be set free as well within this portfolio. Yeah. How tightly. Uh, integrated are they? Uh, that's the big question, you know, with with YouTube in particular. Uh, do they really need to be reporting uh, in, into Sundar? So yeah. uh, these are issues that you know, I would wonder about if they aren't going to become independent parts of this larger um, Alphabet solar system. Of course, they have another Alphabet branding problem, by the way. Apparently, that, that Israeli architecture firm is insisting that they had all rights to that name. <laughs> so they'll have to have that fight and, and may have to give a, cu- a couple of million dollars to him just to uh, get that squared away. Yeah. 
I think they'll be able to find in their pocket somehow to make to make peace. Yeah, I think that that's like that that's like me pulling a five dollar bill out of my pocket that's right the now. One thing. That's the one thing they definitely do have is cash flow. Exactly. David and Jeff, I greatly appreciate you joining uh, us on the show and look forward to having you back here again. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.